Our studies in Romans continue. Chapter 8, please, verses 26 through 39. Romans 8, 26 through 39. Let me give you a brief summary of the previous section in Romans chapter 8. In verses 9 through 11, indwelling is the theme, and that has to do with relationship. In verses 12 through 17, being heirs with Christ, that has to do with family. In verses 18 through 25, future glory, and that has to do with hope. I'm going to take us now to verses 26 and 27 in Romans chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I mentioned in a previous study, all three persons of the Godhead are involved in our salvation. The Father sent His Son. The Son gave His life. The Holy Spirit has revealed the Word. Well, here's something else about the Holy Spirit's role in heaven, and this holds great meaning. He helps in an area where we often perceive our weakness, specifically in the matter of prayer. When we encounter difficulty expressing ourselves, it says here, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then in verse 27, this is all connected to the intercession of Christ. He, Christ, searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Once again, you see all three persons of the Godhead involved in our salvation. And I've just related I've just restated or paraphrased what this text says. You have here the Holy Spirit. He helps in our weakness, specifically with those groanings we feel in praying, which cannot be uttered. What I see here is the Holy Spirit doing something for us in heaven in connection with the intercession of Christ, all under the authority of God, all three members of the Godhead involved in our salvation. Now, looking at these two verses, it escapes me why there would be any difficulty about this. This isn't the Holy Spirit doing something for us separate from the Word. This isn't the same as what the Holy Spirit did on Pentecost or through the apostles. No, this is what the Holy Spirit does for us in heaven through the intercession of Christ when we pray to God. Let me ask you, 
Do you always know exactly what to pray for? And do you always know exactly how to express yourself before God when you pray? Well, I may be the exception, but I will readily confess to you that when I pray, I sometimes struggle to express myself. There are, it can be said, groanings and uncertainties I encounter. And I don't mean I'm uncertain about God hearing prayer or God answering prayer, anything like that. And objectively, I know what the Bible says about praying. But I sometimes struggle to know exactly what to say and how to express myself in prayer. I think this common to man. We struggle about what to pray for and how to express ourselves. Well, perhaps this passage is telling us we shouldn't worry so much about all that. Just pray. Maintain reverence. Thoughtfulness, yes. But tell the Lord what you have on your mind and rely upon deity to interpret and know your heart and understand your need and your groanings. Jesus is there, the book of Hebrews says, as our sympathetic high priest. He is able to search our hearts and know the mind of the Spirit when the Spirit listens to our groanings. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So what I see here, the understanding, sympathetic intercession, whereby my thoughts and needs get through to God, even though I have weakness in selecting words and expressing myself. May I say that again? The understanding sympathetic intercession, whereby my thoughts and needs get through to God, even though I, have may, I may have weakness and difficulty expressing myself and finding the best words. I've had people say to me, I'm not good with finding words or expressing what's in my heart. I'm not a perfect communicator. I'm not a perfect prayer. Do your best. Be reverent and sincere. Know what the Bible says about the God you're praying to. Place your trust what this passage says. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, move carefully here. We already know something, that when we sin, that never works for our good. When we sin, that never works for our good. So let's read sin out of this. Remember what we've learned earlier. We must never see sin as being for our good in any kind of way. So let's read sin out of this. Here's what I believe is a legitimate understanding of this when context is carefully considered. Look back at what Paul has written before this verse and then bring in what he writes after this verse. All these things, all those things, 
You have no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You're free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit of God dwells in us. We're heirs with Christ, sons of God. Glory is to be revealed in us. We're saved by hope, and we have the intercession of the Spirit. All those things brought up by Paul in this context, in this chapter, work together for our good. I'll tell you, I'm certain of that. Now, are there providential provisions, perhaps unseen, and answers to prayer and God's use of suffering to discipline us that work together for our good? Absolutely. Once we read sin out of this and understand that when we sin, there's never any good in that, everything else in this context and in providence and be a part of the good things God does for those who are called according to his purpose. I remember what Robert Turner wrote about this. It seems to me the all things of Romans 8.28 refers particularly to the things in the context. Christ, our answer, his promises, our hope, God's all-encompassing eye and ear. I think that's it. Verses 29 and 30. Romans 8, verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. A few definitions here, just briefly. Foreknew, knowing beforehand. Predestined, to fix the destiny of or mark off beforehand. Called, invite. Those who have accepted God's invitation are the called. Verse 20. Justified, to declare not guilty. Glorified, to bless with splendor, to praise and exalt. This often has to do with that resurrection unto life and entrance into heaven. Promise to the faithful, verse 17. Now, here's the point, and it's simple. Paul is describing what God planned and did that we, who are Christians, benefit from now. Aldous describing what God planned and did that we as Christians benefit from now. God knew beforehand there would be a class of people disposed to obey him. He fixed a destiny for them. That is, he determined, he foreordained that they would be conformed to the image of his son and ultimately glorified. This is all about God making plans and following through, and we benefit. He made these plans. Then he called people through the gospel. As people obeyed the call, he declared them not guilty, and these are the ones who will be blessed with eternal splendor in heaven. In verses 31 to 35, we find a series of questions. And these questions 
call upon us to consider what is taught in this chapter and understand how abundantly we are blessed. 31 through 35. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall, uh, uh, shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Now, you have one question right after the other to help us realize how good it is to be in Christ and walk according to the Spirit. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his son. He delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also freely give us all things? The point is, we have all these good things from God, these things Paul has been writing about that work together for our good. And the conclusion is, God is for us. Even when there's tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword, we can be more than conquerors. Him who loved us. Verses 38 and 39. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God. Paul says he, convinced, he is convinced that neither angels, life, things to come, depth, principalities, death, things present, height, any other created thing shall not be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So even in tribulations and distress and persecutions and famine and nakedness and COVID and peril and sword, we can be overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. We know all things work together for good, them that continue to love the Lord. Thank you for being with us.